Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. So did you watch the Eurovision Song Contest last weekend? Funny you mentioned that because I watched the Eurovision Song Contest just this weekend, which is something I only discovered a couple of years ago. And I thought, you know, this is wonderful. And many of my friends, especially my European friends, make fun of me for this. What do you think of the Eurovision? Uh, I first discovered it back in the late 80s when I moved to France. And I would watch it every now and then. But in recent years, I've watched it more regularly because there's something about the incongruity of the 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 different songs of the weirdness of the uh, of the joy of this event that is really uplifting you you hit it now my my friend chris who's a regular member of our sangha is a serious world music guy he's actually helped organize world music concerts so he kind of not makes fun Okay, makes fun a little bit of my yeah. enjoyment of the Eurovision. And I have to say, it is, uh, how do you, to como se dice in espanol, cheesy, uh, in francais, uh, it, a little it's tacky. Kitsch. It's, it's kitsch. kitsch. Kitsch, not quiche. It's a, uh, kitsch. kitsch. Not quiche. Kitsch. Yeah. Kitsch. Yeah, yeah. Yes. But it is wonderful just for the reasons you said. Uh, you know, I'm from America, and I have to say, okay, uh, maybe it's not the greatest music in the world, but it's better than a lot of things I grew up listening to. Well, I wouldn't quantify it as necessarily better. Um, this was a really good year. Many years, most of the songs really annoy me. But this was a really good year for some reason. And and I found a lot of the songs really interesting. It's not that it's better. It's that the the approach to this festival of having all these different types of songs from different countries is what gives it a kind of variety that we don't really get in music very often. Because you get everything from slow ballads to rap to heavy metal. You always get like the Finnish heavy metal guys dressed up as knights of the Middle Ages and things like that. Um, the winner this year was a Ukrainian song, which was part based on Ukrainian folk music and part on modern rap music with breakdancing. And you get a lot of juxtapositions like that. Well, first off, uh, Ukraine was everyone's popular favorite yes. this year. Yeah. But they really were good just to themselves. Yes. And uh, that flute they were playing, which I learned is actually two kinds of flute. You know, you hear something that you haven't heard for the first time. I had never heard a flute like that. So. Yeah, it's got an interesting sound. Yeah. But uh, let's let's go right to it and say our personal favorites. Uh, I, I'm going to go down the list and I, I'd like to hear yours. If I, with all respect to Ukraine, who I'd love, their neighbor, Moldova. I wanted the Moldovan song to win. With the violin and the accordion. I thought that was just the weirdest song. And often in Eurovision, it's a weird song that wins. You, you, you're, you're old enough to remember Lawrence Welk and his accordion. 
That yeah. was the guy from Lawrence Welk, you know, rapping there. It was really good. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that was a great song. While I didn't particularly like the Norwegian song, I thought that the their song Give the Wolf a Banana and their funny yellow plastic masks was quite apropos of the Eurovision sort of festivity. And you can call me Keith. Yes. I believe was one of the lines there, which I don't know exactly <laughs> how that fits in, but no, that that was that was wonderful too because that's a commentary on on our world situation that if you gave everyone who is aggressive a banana, then maybe we could have uh, our grandmas would be safe. I think yeah. that was the uh, the point behind yeah. the song. Did you just watch it this weekend? I watched it the week before live. I watched it uh, just uh, this past week, and I didn't see all the preliminaries. But uh, I have to say, uh, didn't get a lot of points. Romania, with a very lovely... I, I, the Romanian, I believe, was singing actually in Spanish with a great dance number. And also Serbia, something about the artist must stay clean. Mm. Yeah, healthy body. Healthy body, yes. Yeah, that's what it was. Um, that was the one with the woman washing her hands, like doing a, a lot. scene from Macbeth. Yeah. Oh, was that out, out damn spot? Was was that a reference Exactly, to... when she's trying to get the b- imaginary blood off her hands in Macbeth. I, I didn't realize. that. That's that's wonderful. Now, now, the UK came in second, which over here, this was like they just won World War III or something, because um, the UK has often gotten zero points, and they've often had really bad singers. But what they did this year is they went and they found the guy with the most followers on TikTok. The guy has 12 million followers, and they basically brought in a ringer. He was singing something about the universe. Yeah, Spaceman was the title of his song. Uh-huh. And he, he had this falsetto kind of David Bowie-ish sound song. Yeah, it didn't grab me. I was very yeah. surprised that it came in that high, which is the power of TikTok, you're saying. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. They basically brought in someone with 12 million votes. Not that necessarily everyone voted, but... So the way it works over here is you phone in and vote for the country you want. You can't vote for your own country, but you can vote for any other country. And you have to pay for it. These are like premium phone calls. But I think you can vote up to 20 times. So the people who are the real fans, they vote for the countries they like. And this is why you often get Swedish people voting for Norway and French voting for Belgium, you know, neighbors who who know each other, who have similarities in music. Well, you're not only the great music uh, aficionado, but you're also quite conversant with computer culture. Isn't there a way to set this up? with ringers and and uh, call centers. and Could you stack the vote? Just like Trump says, was this election rigged? <laughs> I don't think so, because the, I think way back in the beginning, this has been going on for, was it 70 years now? Um, I think in the beginning there were some issues around that, and it's changed an awful lot. I think they're really careful because of the, uh, because of the economic nature of this. The winner of each year's contest hosts next year's contest. So it was held in Italy this year because the Italians won last year. Next year, hopefully it'll be held in Ukraine. So there's a big economic thing going on here. So what you're saying is it's possible to rig a a world election, the American presidential election, but Eurovision is safe and we can rest easy. Probably, probably. 
They've changed the voting over the years. The way they construct it now is they have a, a group of judges who vote uh, in each country and they pull the results. And that's the first half of the vote. Then the public who phones in votes. So you have this long, it takes about an hour for them to read out all the votes. They go to all the different countries. Um, this year, there were what, 35 different countries. So they go to all the different countries. They used to rattle off all the point votes. Now they only um, say which one they gave 12 points to. And the suspense of this as it goes on is really well crafted. So they've, they've turned this into an event where for the first half, you hear all these songs and you get these cute little videos while, you know, they're changing acts on the stage. For the second half, when people have drunk enough, then you get all the voting and people can, you know, applaud when their team gets the better score. But What's Zen about this? Well, before we get to the Zen, why is Australia in there? Do you have any answer for that? I don't know. Israel's been in there too. Um, they're not in Europe. I, I think somehow they pretend that Australia's like off the coast of Spain just for like a couple weeks a year in order to do this. It's something financial. It's obviously got to do with money. Okay, but what is Zen about this? Yeah. Well, in the sense that everything is Zen. Oh, come on. That's too easy. That's, I think, the name of our podcast, something like that. Oh, the Zen of everything. <laughs> Sorry. We should have called it, not the everything of Zen, the Zen of everything. <laughs> An excellent podcast, by the way. Recommend it, I recommend it to everyone. should listen to it. But what is Zen about it? Well, Buddhism in general is very musical. It's not only sutras, but it's also, of course, many types of, shall we say, there's actually... Buddhist and Zen gospel music that's very popular. And recently, there have been examples of Zen pop music, including a couple of heavy metal bands from Taiwan who really kick Buddha, a uh, kick butt, I wanted to say, <laughs> but you, you got my... I got it. But, uh, and they, but they're singing, they say, for peace. And when they're asked why they're singing this heavy metal, they say, you got to preach to the people who need to hear it, and those people would be listening to uh, that kind of music, which I think is great. Not my favorite, but, you know, I can understand if you're trying to reach a certain demographic, a certain crowd, age group, etc., you have to speak their language. I recently heard that not only my brother uh, Brad Warner, but several great Buddhist modern figures, uh, including Guo Gu, the very good Chan teacher, these are, he these are punk rockers. Uh, apparently, Guagu was the bass player for the judges. We'll we'll go online and we'll find uh, an example of Guagu's bass uh, from the apparently very uh, popular uh, band, the Judges. Yeah, I'll put a link in the show notes. Yeah, and I think the Beastie Boys did um, a number of sort of Buddhist tinge rap songs as well. Yeah, they were Tibetan Buddhists, but uh, it's yeah. good. It's all good, right? What I find interesting about music is that there is something in music that can take you to the same place that Zen can. And, and by that, I mean the, the moments of Zen when you appreciate the immediacy of the world, the oneness of the world. And there's something about music that can be all-encompassing, whether it's listening to a symphony or a heavy metal song. It can, it can overwhelm you in a way that makes you aware of connections between you and other people. I mean, this is why big 
rock concerts and festivals are so popular because you go with other people. You may imbibe recreational substances to help you on the road, but you, you get this feeling of unity with other people because you're sharing the music with them. Yes, we get swept up in the music and we become the music. And it can be any kind of music. Uh, I, 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 I'm sure that if I was a big Britney Spears fan, it would happen to me. I would become one with Britney. I'm sure it is possible. <laughs> but I've had it happen at a, a classical music event. Now, when I was much, much younger, I remember sitting there in the theater trying to intellectually understand the music I was listening to. Yeah. I was thinking about what I was listening. And I did not get very far. And suddenly, I think it was the Rite of Spring, which is, I was saying, what does this have to do? What is it signifying about the spring? And what mm. does that sound represent? What does this tone, the oboe, what, is, what animal is that? And, and it was completely getting me nowhere. And I thought, let me just let it sweep over me and be the spring. Not even think about the spring. I think I got music the first time right there. Yeah. When you let those thoughts go away as we do in Zazen, and you just let the music be, and it comes into your ears, and it just does something to you, and you can feel what music is about like that. Which, as I said in my book, uh, time for the weekly plug. Right. Zen Master's Dance, right? Master Dogen. Signed copies available from Jundo. Copies still available, yes. Yeah. Uh, we hear the symphony that the universe is playing. Now, it, it is something like those early 20th century composers to the untrained ear. It's not the, shall we say, the mathematical precision of a Bach or even Mozart, but it sweeps in you. It is organic and wild and romantic, but also terrifying sometimes. It's life and death. And it is sounds that are sometimes difficult to hear. But when you let it all wash in you, we really are the symphony of the universe. Mm, yeah, it, it does have power. And just me being a fan of the Grateful Dead, um, a deadhead, one of the best known Grateful Dead concerts was May 8, 1977 in Cornell. And so many people who were there described the end of the last song before the encore, Morning Dew, as almost a religious experience. And if you listen to a recording, I'll put a link in the show notes. If you listen to that song and you get into it, you can just get overwhelmed by the crescendos and, and the power of the music, even if you're not present there. Now, you not only have a music podcast, which, of course, we will link to, too, right below my book, by the way, right below my book, my book for... Book for comes first, then you, yes. Right, your book comes first, and then I'll link to my music podcast, which is called The Next Track. And you know so much about music, more than, uh, well, you and my, my friend Chris, uh, who I mentioned, you, you guys would get along great. But of all the music you've listened to, if you had to go to the, the desert island with only your iPod player, uh, by the way, hopefully have some place to charge it, so maybe a solar charger, that yeah. would be necessary. But let's say you only have, let's say, I don't know, five or 10 selections on there. Kirk, what would they be? Well, funny you ask, because on the next track, we actually did an episode about this. My co-host, Doug Adams, and I did a Desert Island Discs episode. We each picked 10 recordings. I'll just talk very quickly. I'll link to the episode uh, if you're curious. One of them is a recording of Bach's Goldberg Variations, which to me is one of the greatest works of music of all time. Another is Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, the, the, the seminal 1959 album that changed jazz forever. 
I had to pick a Grateful Dead album, so I picked American Beauty. Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks, arguably his best, his most moving album. I'll just mention one more again. I'll link to the show notes. Morton Feldman, who was a New York composer who wrote these really long minimalist pieces, uh, his piano and string quartet's about an hour and 10 minutes long. It's one of these things that goes in slow motion with small phrases, and it's very moving. And it it is, to me, Zen music, even though he wasn't into Zen. He was a, very close with John Cage, who was into Zen, but Feldman wasn't at all interested in that. But his music, to me, does feel very Zen. Uh, on the Goldberg variations, would it be the Glenn Gould, or uh, do you have a particular favorite? So I'm that guy who has at least 25 different versions of the Goldberg Variations. And I think one of my favorites these days is by Andra Schiff. I love Glenn Gould's second recording in 1981. There are so many good recordings of the Goldberg Variations that, but this isn't a music podcast. I didn't know Glenn Gould had a first recording, but the second recording. 1955 was the first one. The second one was in 1981, shortly before he died. I see. But yeah, I have these musical milestones in my life that I can return to that have moved me and that have given me this feeling, which again, in, in our Zazen, we don't seek Kensho, but it happens sometimes. And that's the feeling that you can get um, with music. And what's interesting with music is if you know it well enough and you've had this kind of experience, you can put a record on and feel the same thing. It's not always the same because it depends on your mood, your energy, the time of day, etc. For example, one of my favorite albums is Exile on Main Street by the Rolling Stones, which I believe if this podcast comes out on the 27th, it is one day after the 50th anniversary of the release, uh, May 26, 1972. I lived with this album for a year. When I moved to France, I only had 10 cassettes with me, and one of them was uh, um, Exile on Main Street with two other Rolling Stones albums on the other side of the cassette. And I lived with this album. And any time I put these songs on, I think back to hitchhiking across France, walking across, you know, mm. these wonderful landscapes and discovering a new country. And for me, Let It Bleed is the Goldberg variations of rock music. Uh, I think even Zen guys are allowed to remember the songs we listened to in high school. I mean, I don't know if the Buddha and Dogen went to high school as such. Mm. And I, I don't know if they, when they were in high school, they would have been particularly going to the prom. I can't see that. But uh, yeah, we all have those songs and there's nothing wrong with remembering the songs that, uh, that were uh, with us. I can sing every word of American Pie. And if we have another 25 minutes... Okay, I'd rather you didn't do that. Huh? No, I'd rather you didn't do that on the show. Yes, yeah, so you told me not to sing here anymore. Well, we could have copyright issues, and then we'll get sued, and then we'll have to end the podcast. I'll change the so, words. As, as much as I know that you could sing a wonderful rendition of American Pie, it would probably be so good that it would go viral, be shared on TikTok, and we would get sued. I'll call it Canadian Pie. Yeah, okay. No, anyway. <laughs> anyway, uh, there's nothing wrong with uh, appreciating and loving music. There were music all through Zen culture, Buddhist culture. Uh, they didn't have uh, the top 40 we had, but they had popular music back in the day. Music has always been part of the human condition. Uh, I, there is nothing wrong with music. I suppose you can get attached to it like anything else in life. And uh, actually, is it possible? Is there a, a, a word, Kirk, for an addiction to music? 
Is there a MA, Music Synonymous? Melodophilia, would you call it? I thought that's that's uh, something else, uh, being attracted to violins. No, that, that would be a... <laughs> quite curvy, uh, by me- the way. Me- Melodidus? Melodidus. But it's, it's, it's true. People, there are people who put music on, they have the radio on all day long as uh, what I like to call as musical wallpaper. And for those people, it's important to turn it off and feel the silence sometimes. That's true. Music serves many purposes. It is entertainment. It's something sometimes we listen to actively. It's sometimes we listen to passively in the car or in a restaurant. But sometimes silence is more interesting than music, or the music of silence is interesting. I, you know, I hadn't thought about it until you just said it. And I have known people like this. I'm not that much of a music fan, but you could be so obsessed listening to music or in your headphones these days that it takes you out to the world. For example, I was in the gym yesterday, and I said to a guy at the gym, how are you doing? He looked at me, huh? And I said, how are you doing? And then I noticed he had to, what he had to do is he had to reach out and remove his headphones. And he looked at me quite annoyed that I was interfering and had caused him, he was going to the gym, by the way, but I had caused him the great labor of removing a headphone so that I could ask him, how are you? And maybe missing a verse of his favorite song. Perhaps, yes. And I said, and I said how are you? He said, I'm fine, and put his headphone back. <laughs> maybe it was just well, me, he- but... Headphones, headphones can be a social signal to not be bothered. As you saw in the gym, as you'll see when people are walking down the street, it's a way of indicating to people that you don't want to interact with them. But I think this is maybe too much now. Would you agree? Yeah, it could be. Let me just flip to another kind of music, which is nature's music. Mm. I discovered an app for my iPhone uh, last week. It is called uh, Merlin Bird ID. It's made by Cornell University. It's free. I'll put a link in the show notes. And I went out in my garden and I started recording. And what it does is it recognizes the bird songs. It tells you which birds you're hearing and lets you play snippets of recordings of those songs so you can learn to recognize them. And in my garden, in just 10 minutes, we had blackbirds, chiffchaffs, goldfinches, wood pigeons, robins, wrens, thrushes, collared doves, magpies, woodpeckers, sparrows, pheasants, and house martins. And that was just in the garden. On the other side of the house, there's swallows and wagtails and other birds that for some reason don't come on the garden side of the house. And I was walking around with this, just fascinated that I can finally learn what these songs are that I hear the birds singing all the time. And is it reliable or is this by the same service that a few weeks ago told you you have the the DNA of Mongolian, Genghis Khan? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> no, this is, the, as I said, it's Cornell University that's done this. They have a huge database of song recordings. And you know how Shazam works on your phone? You can just tell it to find what the song is. It'll recognize it. I think this works in a similar way. Yeah, I've tried that a few times. I said, what is this song? <laughs> it never... No, it, it's not when you sing it. It's when you're listening to a recording that it can recognize. Oh, okay. Then maybe that's the, the problem there. But one thing I like to do is sit in the garden and just listen to all the bird songs. And it's all in what they call now spatial audio. It's all around you. And it's fascinating now to recognize the songs of each of the birds, which I'll be able to do as I listen to these more and more. So like I said before about sitting and listening to the orchestra, it is wonderful to just let the sound wash through you. But yes, it is also wonderful to understand a little about the music, what the oboe does what the composer was trying to attain. 
who the composer was and his life story. That's also important too. So Zen is not anti-intellectual. No. It's knowing the place of both. A time to know which bird it is, what uh, the Latin name is, and also a time to just let the songs wash through you. All very important. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I'm going to feed a banana to the wolf. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.